Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how was your Thanksgiving? I was I was I was very thankful for it. <laughs> My birthday was also on Saturday, so well, happy birthday! Just, there are all kinds of celebrating going on. Did you have some turkey for your birthday as well? I, I did have a little bit of turkey for my birthday, yes. <laughs> Just because there's so much leftover. We actually finished off the turkey leftovers that we took home, at least. I don't know, my mom's probably still working on them, uh, you know, the, 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 what she left at her, what we left at her house. But, um, yeah, we finally finished that off tonight. So, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's, Thanksgiving's one of my favorite holidays. I, I can't lie. I love going over to mom's and uh, getting, the, getting the fixings. Uh, well, uh, also joining us is a new writer to our site, Jacob Milham. Jacob. Uh, what's your favorite Thanksgiving uh, food or sod or pie? What's what's what do you look what do you look forward to on Thanksgiving? And look, you can't go wrong with some in the bird stuffing. All right, ah. stuffing, not not dressing to me, honestly. Um, I, I do have to say, my uh, my godmother she makes a sweet potato casserole, but you have to take it with uh, with a grain of salt because the topping of it has one stick of butter and then the sweet potatoes <laughs> have another stick of butter. So I'm trying to try to stay around for a little while so I ain't eating too much of that. Well, sweet potatoes are a vegetable, right? So that's got that's healthy, right? That you're yeah. eating healthy, I think. So. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you being on uh, on this podcast and welcome to the site. Welcome to the podcast. And I did want to have Jacob on because announcement. This looks going to be my last podcast episode as host. I'm still going to stick around as editor, and I hope to be on as a guest uh, as much as I can or as much as uh, Jacob and Jeremy will have me on. But Jacob uh, and Jeremy will be taking over as co-hosts of the show, uh, and uh, and I think they'll do a fantastic job. Uh, there may be some changes. Maybe there won't be any changes, but uh, but you know they'll, they'll carry on the coverage throughout the offseason, and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to what you guys come up with. No pressure, right? <laughs> I'm looking forward to what we come up with too. It's going to be exciting to find out. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, yes, it is. It's uh, it's going to be great. And hopefully, be great. Yeah, and hopefully at some point you guys have some Royals actual Royals news to talk about because I feel oh. like we've gone about. You know, I was worried about we took Thanksgiving week off because it was Thanksgiving, uh, but also because there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. And then I was, but I was worried like, well, what if they end up you know doing a move or hiring a pitching coach and <laughs> they'll be off for two weeks? And of course, they haven't done anything in two weeks. Uh, so I don't know, Jacob. Do you think they're ever going to hire a pitching coach at this point? <laughs> I mean, they they have to at some point, right? I mean, they're they're just going to trot uh, Mike Matheny out there to to coach <laughs> coach the pitchers. I, I don't know what they're going to do. to secretly steal the pitching coach. They're just oh, afraid to tell us. Don't say that, Jeremy. How dare you? <laughs> Well, they brought back Ryan O'Hearn. I guess you know Cal Eldred. You know that would have been the time to bring him back, as we know, underneath the Cal uh, the Ryan O'Hearn news. But yeah, I feel like it's like if uh, if you don't get rid of the last guy, can you can you hire, if you don't hire someone else to replace Cal Eldred, he, he still has his old job, right? Like they gotta have someone someone in the position. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. I I, I did see David Lesky wrote uh, inside the the Crown that uh, he thinks Brian Bannister is gonna get the job, and they're just kind of waiting on. MLB to specify whether or not uh, personnel or the coaches need to be vaccinated to directly work with players. That was a rule, I guess, last year. Even though Cal Eldred, Cal Eldred was not vaccinated, but I guess he had an exemption. Brian Bannister, also not vaccinated, uh, does not have that exemption apparently. So I, I don't know. Like I, I would think baseball does not have that rule in next place next year, but I'm not sure. Uh, and, and 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 David's kind of speculating not speculating i think he's heard a little bit but but but, you know he's not a reporter he can't really confirm it uh that's my guess what the holdup is i mean uh, i can't imagine it's taking this long but you know i did see the reds just finalize their coaching staff this week the white Sox 
finalize their coaching staff, taking Mike Tosar from the Royals coaching staff. So uh, maybe it does take a while just to kind of get your your ducks lined up. Uh, and, maybe, you know, if they hire the right guy, maybe it'll all be worth it. But uh, we're getting a little antsy here as we get into December without a pitching coach. And, uh, uh, you know, hopefully they'll at some point also make some moves on the player personnel side. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not expecting maybe, you know, them to be in, involved in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes, Jacob. But, you know, I think we're all expecting – J.J. Piccolo to maybe be a little more aggressive than Dayton Moore has been in the past. What are you kind of expecting the Royals to do kind of big picture-wise this offseason? What what uh, what kind of moves are you anticipating? What kind of direction do you think they're going to go as far as uh, uh, they're uh, you know, under, under J.J. Piccolo? Well, and Jeremy, I, I want to get your thoughts on this specifically to J.J. later on, but I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about J.J.'s approach because he said in the past um, I, I'm not going to directly quote him. It was about two years ago now. He said something to the effect of, well, it takes two to tango in free agency. He kind of left out this open-ended statement that, oh, well, you know, the Royals are giving it our, our best try to go out and sign these A-list free agents while, you know, we're we're not ending up with anybody. So I, I don't know if maybe that he was just passing the buck. A lot of things have changed. In the, in the team leadership, I am hoping he's going to have a little bit more of an aggressive approach. I'm not seeing them going out and blowing the bank, though. they got to save some of that money for this downtown stadium, right? <laughs> the, the one thing that I found very interesting about J.J. Piccolo is that I feel like he has spoken very differently, uh, especially as the, later in the year, but especially after Dayton Moore was let go from the team than he did before. So I think I think a lot of what he said before you could take with kind of a grain of salt that he was backing up the guy in charge. Um, you know, at least I'm crossing my fingers that that's the case. Yeah, uh, that he's not just blowing smoke uh, right now. But uh, yeah, I, I I do hope that uh, you know. He, he he seems to be more interested in being well and again he seemed more interested in being more transactional and yet Ryan O'Hearn is still on the baseball team exactly yeah i exactly. I, I think you know kind of we'll believe you know, we're the show me state or at least the, the royals are i i'm i'm across the state line uh in kansas <laughs> but in the show me state you know it's like you know he can talk the talk about being more transactional but until he actually does it i think royals fans are still you know rightly a little skeptical especially since he was Dayton Morris right-hand man and he you know he said the right things but um we kind of need to see him actually go out and make transactions to be transactional uh so you know we'll see what they end up doing and it's been look it's been quiet around baseball you know usually things don't really pick up until the winter meetings which will take place uh early december um but uh you know this is a team that's that's i think behind schedule and there is a little sense of urgency that you know look uh this team is not where we want to be um the you know, there are some things in place and there is some hope for the future, but, um, you know, like you mentioned the downtown baseball stadium, like it's hard to rally taxpayers to pay for a $2 billion stadium district when the team has lost this many games in five years and does not seem willing to uh, make expenditures in the payroll. They've already kind of downplayed, uh, free agency, uh, both John Sherman and JJ Piccolo kind of saying, you know what, this may not be the kind of team you invest in. Um, so, which I kind of get from my baseball strategy, strategy, uh, viewpoint, but you know, when you've been, you've had this, this stretch of five years, I kind of feel like maybe you should be 
at least investing in in in, in teams somehow, whether it's long term contracts, or or you know going after some you know lucrative one year deals with players. Um, there's there there should be a way to spend your money to improve this team, uh, either in the short term or long term. Jacob, you know if if you ran the Royals, what kind of approach would you be taking? Am I other other uh, would you be looking at more trades? Would you be looking at free agency, or would it be kind of a combination of, of the two? Well, I'd, I'd be focusing on um, on trades. There's certainly a lot of enticing prospects that are down in the minor league system right now that simply don't have a place in the near or long term scope of the team. Um, a guy like Nick Lofton does does come to mind. You know, how much trade value does he have with other GMs? Um, can the Royals flip him for another player? But I, Max, I kind of like the short-term free agency approach because we've we've seen what happens when the Royals invest in their own guys. The last own guy they invested in really was Hunter Dozier, and how that freaking turned out for us. <laughs> so here we are, still saddled with his freaking contract. Um, so I would like, and I, I ain't gonna lie, I I do support the Athletic. I think they do a lot of good work over there. However. I laughed at the computer when they put out an article. I'm, I'm getting up to the title, so everyone can go and read this lovely article later on. A free agent fit for all 30 teams ahead of the winter meetings. All right, pretty pretty good prediction right there. I like it. Let's go down to the Royals. Right-hand pitcher Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> One year and $14 million. Now, do I think that the Royals have a realistic shot at getting Noah Syndergaard? No. He went to the Angels for a reason. He thought they were going to compete. Now, I do like the length, though. I like the amount of money, though. I think if the Royals can pluck a few, you know, veteran arms, a few kind of, I wouldn't say glue guys, but guys that they know can come in and produce and they can give them that one-year contract for a good amount of money, I like that. Jeremy, do you like that approach, though? Uh, You know, here's my thing. Teams make... $100 $100 million off of t- off of TV deals, the national TV deals, the local TV deals. They make more than $100 million before they sell a single ticket. The Disney bought the rest of Bantech uh, this offseason. Every team got another $30 million. They have money to spend. If they're not spending the money, it's going in the owner's pocket. So I'd love to see them go out and go get some big, guy, big names. I, I, I looked at, uh, you know... Um, Justin Verlander's out there, uh, Carlos Rodon is out there, and starting pitching is their their most desperate need right now. And I feel like you go get a, a couple of guys like that to headline your rotation, and, and you're not instantly a 100-win team, but I think in a weak central division, you're, you're instantly competitive. And uh, I think that a competitive Royals team is going to sell a heck of a lot of tickets. I think we saw that in 2014, 2015. Um, which uh, is more money for the ownership to put in its pockets or spend on free agents, whatever. So I'm I am in favor of let's go out there, let's spend some money, let's see if we can turn uh, turn these take some pressure off of the the kids by saying here's these veterans are going to lead the way. You just got to kind of carry your own weight, and, and you know good things will happen. And and, and you know they avoid the the big tail spins, which is which is I think a consistent problem for the Royals, especially early in seasons when they have bad teams, is that they just lose a whole bunch of games early in the year, and with a couple guys like like Radon and Verlander, they wouldn't. 
uh, or at least you wouldn't think they would. So uh, that's that's the direction I want to go is just let's throw some money at this problem and, and see if we can fix it. So I, I yeah, I saw that thing about Bamtech today. I was like, each team's going to get $30 million out of that sale of that. That's crazy. Uh, so these teams are flush with cash. And uh, a lot of these teams have been saving up the last couple of years. There's reports that the Rays are interested in Jacob deGrom. They made a solid offer to Jose Abreu. After years and years of not spending, they, they might be kind of players in the free agent market finally. Um, you know, there's there's actually some evidence the Guardians might actually go out and spend on a Sean Murphy in through a trade, not free agency, but that's that's kind of outside their um, mo. There, I think there's going to be a lot of teams, you know, investing in player pers- or player payroll that haven't been, which means this market's going to be crazy. So I think if you go, if you want to throw money at it, it's going to be at wildly inflated prices, and and there's no way. I'm sorry, but no way Justin Verlander's coming here. The Royals could offer him a billion dollars. He's not coming here. I mean, I think he's at a three-year billion-dollar contract. No, I mean, like, he's he's chasing another ring. I, I think he's more for legacy right now. Uh, you know, Carlos Rodon, yeah, I think at the right price, maybe he'd come here. Um, but, and, and I've been kind of in the... Uh, let's let's the austerity mode. Like, hey, this the, I I agree with JJ. You know, this isn't really a team that's that can get from sixty five wins to eighty one wins through free agency. But um, you do make a good point. There is a lot more money now. Uh, they have a lot of. I mean, they don't have hardly any contractual obligations next year. Uh, about seventy million dollars, maybe if they you know with all the arb guys. And uh, you know, if some of these young players do progress like we think they do, and you add a couple two or three good free agents, they could be feisty. They could be something. They could be 500. And I think a 500 team would go a long way um, towards, you know, getting the fan base back, uh, making people excited about the future. Um, so I, I could see it either way. I, I don't know. Is there other than, oh, other than like kind of the names you guys mentioned, are there any other free agents that are kind of high on your radar that you think the Royals should maybe be in on? Whoever wants there's, to, there, yeah. There's there, there's so many names that are just still out there and available, and there's like no, there's no due north on our compass right now. Like we have no, there's no chatter about who the Royals are interested in. And I still think it's hinging upon their freaking pitching coach. Like you want to have your pitching coach to have some sort of say in who they're who they're going to be coaching at, at this level at least. Um, I think. I'm kind of throwing my hands up because I think they're going to go for a whole lot of like mid-level um, veteran arms. Um, a guy like Seth Lugo, he comes to mind. Um, Brad Boxberger is another one. Um, I've heard some fits about like Michael Fulmer, but like imagining him and Kaufman is a little. I, I it just doesn't sit right. Yeah, Jeremy, you there with me on that? Yeah, I agree. That's a... I, as much it. as Verlander could never come here, I just did Fulmer is just like, mm, that doesn't work. That doesn't look right. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? But Hey, I'm going to, I'm kind of, let me throw a monkey wrench in this on my very first episode here. So my initial reaction, when I saw some of the numbers that these relievers were getting in free agency, I was like, man, the Royals can't afford to pay Scott Barlow even similar or like market value now for him. So, Jeremy, I want to start with you, and then Max. Are we thinking like maybe they need to get more bullpen arms because we might be trading Scott Barlow? I my thing about the bullpen is that the 
you can find it, I think it's possible to find guys for uh, below market value out there if you're willing to just throw a lot of arms at the wall kind of uh, that doesn't sound right um, <laughs> uh, in spring training and just kind of see what sticks I think you could find guys because there's there's always going to be failed starters a la Wade Davis uh, that that can you know they may not turn into guys with 0.7 ERAs but they can a lot of them are going to turn into reasonable uh, relievers um and so I hate to to spend a lot, of, and we've seen how volatile the reliever market is because Wade Davis was the cyborg. He was the guy who just you could not hit him ever. And then he went to Chicago and he was good for one year, and then he fell off a cliff out of nowhere. Um, and we've we've seen other guys, other relievers have the same thing happen to him. So I hate to give. Uh, if you're talking about spending money wisely rather than just spending all the money on all the players, uh, then then I think it makes more sense to just grab a whole bunch of down-on-their-luck starters and see how many of them you can convert into relievers and and then let somebody else pay $100 million for their closer. There you go. What do you think, Max? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely on the trade Scott Barlow train. I think it's, I think Jeremy's right. There's a limited short shelf life for relievers, and frankly, you know, the teams like the Rays, who we want to emulate, or the, or you know, the Guardians, or, or some of these other teams, you know, they, they, they find Scott Bar, uh, Scott Barlow every year through you know freely available talent or um, through, through the farm system, and you know. Yeah, the Royals haven't been doing that, but uh, they need to be, <laughs> frankly. And and Barlow is on kind of a, a, a you know, on borrowed time at this point. And so I think they do kind of need to trade him all they can. And that was interesting. You know, you talk about the athletic. They had a piece up today from, I guess, Jason Jenks, who I think is kind of filling in as beat writer for the Royals, at least until they hire someone full time. But he, uh, he asked executives about what they thought about uh, trade value for different Royals players. And he thought he said that the 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 the, the value for Barlow is not quite as high as you would expect because uh, he's I guess because he's thirty and maybe because people feel like he's a reliever on borrowed time perhaps um, so you know it would have to be for the right uh, package um, I certainly wouldn't give him away but I, I do think the Royals should be kind of looking at looking at trading him and finding you know the next Scott Barlow and I think they're you know they can they are capable of doing that they find they found some gems Dylan Coleman was a nice find Jake Brents was was pretty good for a year um you know there are guys out there um you just have to be able to to identify them but you know you talk about um you know finding failed starters Jeremy I think that should be kind of be the strategy this this offseason like we talk about free agents to pursue I, I wouldn't be looking for I'd be, I'd be looking for just one year deal guys and I think when you look at who you want to identify, I would be looking at guys who can kind of start or leave. Um, guys like Matt Strom, old friend, uh, who, uh, you know, went to the Padres, went to the Red Sox last year. He's had some injury problems, but there was a report that he, he really wants to start again. Um, he's been, But he's been really effective as a reliever, and teams kind of want to pay him as a reliever. If he's willing to come here and, and you know, we'll give him a chance to start because, you know, Lord knows we need innings. Um, I'm willing to give him that opportunity. And if it doesn't work out, you know, hey, you got a good reliever. Uh, so I'd, I'd be looking for guys like that. I think another guy like that is Vince Vince Velasquez, uh, pitched for the White Sox last year, not effectively. Uh, but he's a guy that I think for years people have said, he's got good stuff, Just it just doesn't translate into results. So you get the right pitching coach, which I agree, Jacob, we need a pitching coach at some point. And it, and it kind of matters, you know, who we bring in, uh, depending on that pitching coach. 
But, you know, under the right hands, I think Velasquez, you know, he could be one of those candidates that improves, uh, you know, once he gets, you know, uh, once he has the right kind of tutelage. And then another guy I really like in that mold is Zach Eflin uh, of the Phillies, who I think showed a little bit what he can do in the World Series uh, out of the bullpen. I'd still give him a chance to start. Uh, but I think if he's if he if he can't cut it as a starter, then you you still you still got a really good kind of late inning reliever who could get, which of course the Royals uh, you know desperately need as well. So I kind of like those versatile guys that can do either. Um, I think with the Royals, they may not be able to outbid other teams, but they can give them opportunities, right? Like Matt Straub's not starting for a lot of teams, a lot of contenders. We got plenty of rotation spots, man. <laughs> take take your pick, you know. Uh, slot him in behind Brady Singer and 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 uh, I guess Brad Keller and and Daniel Lynch and 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 uh, you know you start you got a rotation that you know could be could be decent if if uh, uh, and at least has some has some upside there and um, so I don't know those, those that's kind of the direction I'd want to go uh, but you know free agency can be it can be perilous people it's not it's not yeah. a it's not a guarantee uh, there are certainly landmines you want to avoid I mean. Uh, we've certainly seen our, our fair of, of free agents that didn't pan out here in Kansas City, you know, Omar Infante, <laughs> for example. So, Jacob, yeah. are there are there any names out there you kind of want to stay away from or at least kinds of players you want to stay away from that you think would be a poor fit in Kansas City? I, right now, I really don't want to see a whole lot of reunions is how I would put it. So no, no uh, Matt Strom. <laughs> I'm not as adverse to Matt Strom because I can see a lot of the benefits, but there are, you know, for everything they did for Kansas City, I don't want to go out and sign, you know, Danny Duffy and expect him to come back and do anything in 2023. I've even on several of these lists where they, you know, throw arms at the wall and see what sticks, Jeremy, as you so eloquently put. (laughs) Um, Ian Kennedy has been a name. Like, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he didn't do well the first time around. It's I I just don't want to see reunions to try and like gen up interest in that crowd that only was around in 2014 and 2015 because they recognize these names, um, which is something that I was afraid that they kind of did in 2021 when they had guys like Holland and Davis and a couple other guys come through the door that were around those teams. So that's what I want to avoid. I'm not saying we have to go out and get only high upside guys. We can get middling floor guys. That's fine. They're going to be what they're going to be. But I don't want to go take a, for lack of better terms, a swing and a miss on a veteran guy just because he played in Kansas City before. But, Jeremy, I kind of left the field a little open. What do you think, man? Uh, the biggest thing that I don't want to see is I don't want to see a single position player over the age of 30 um uh they've got so much so many promising position players right now um that if you're gonna bring somebody in he better be young he better be on a long contract and he better have a ton of upside uh because they've got they've got guys with a lot of upside who are young and under contract for a long time and there's just there's no need for for lucas dudas or or any of those kinds of guys to come in here right now now pitching is another story i'm willing to go a little bit older with pitching uh, because you know they need it. They they need the they need somebody to to pitch the innings, and they just don't have necessarily the guys that they need. Um, and I I would I think that the the best step forward 
for the pitching staff right now might be to take some pressure off of some of these guys, you know, give them a chance and fill, get enough pitchers that you can send uh, a Chris Bubich to Omaha and to work on some stuff instead of saying, well, you got to stick in the rotation, even though you're not getting any help because we don't have anybody else, you know? Um, so I want to, I want to see them to, to take some pressure off of the pitchers they have and give them a chance. They said they rushed them to the big leagues. Okay. Well, here's your opportunity to fix it is give them, give them a chance to find a way to grow without saying you, you got to just go out there and eat these innings right now because somebody has got to eat the innings. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of along those lines, except I would say I, I don't want to go for anyone over 30 on a multi-year deal. Like, I, I think it's fine to stick to one-year deals, and if you, and if you lose them, that's fine. Like, it, it worked out okay with Zach Greinke. Um, there, I think there's going to be opportunities where if a guy does really well, you can always trade him at the tra- July trade deadline. Uh, but I don't want to do – I don't want to overpay for a mid-pitcher that's on a multi-year deal – Especially guys that don't strike anyone out, like Drew Smiley, I guess, is looking for a multi-year deal. Michael Walker yeah. thinks he's getting a two-year deal. Kyle Gibson, I guess, is still getting uh, two-year offers. And it's like, ah, those guys, that's a, that's a ticking time bomb of, you know, you're going to be DFAing that guy in May of the second year. Uh, so I, I just don't want him, you know, I don't want him to go after guys like that. If you want to do on a one-year deal, great. I mean, that's fine. That, that takes up innings. I understand. You, know, you don't want to rush guys. It allows you to send guys to the minors if you need to. Um, but I just don't want to see kind of – I don't want them to overpay for mediocre talent. If you want to overpay for a guy that, you know, fell through the cracks and no one gave him an offer until February, and you're like, wow, we could really pounce on this guy and get some good talent here, great. But don't give me another Jason Hamill and, get, you know, <laughs> which I you know I understand that there was, you know, some exigent circumstances. But, I mean, you know, you don't want to overpay for a guy. And, 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 you know, we've got all this payroll flexibility, which I think they should kind of maintain that flexibility for when you're kind of pushing for contention, which I think they're at least a year away from. Uh, so I, I don't want to be bogged down in the second year or third year of a contract that we really want to get out of, like Hunter Dozier right now. So... Uh, that's what I hope they avoid, and I think they will. I don't. I don't see them locking themselves up to a lot of long-term deals uh, for for older free agents. Maybe now. I'd love to see it with some of the younger players, but um, you know, we'll have to see what they end up doing. Uh, any last thoughts about what we might see from the Royals at the winter meetings uh, coming up uh, in? I think it's California this year. Uh, Jacob, do you think? Uh, do you think the Royals? Do you think they'll be active? I mean, it, it's been pretty quiet so far, but um, yeah. you know, that's that's the. That's going to be the time for J.J. Piccolo to kind of make his mark. And I think usually new general managers like to make their mark quick, pretty quickly. Um, is, yeah. is this going to be an active winter meetings for the Royals? I, I really think it is. Um, you know, especially you put it best, Max. He's going to want to make his mark. I'm not saying he's going to make a, a splashy move just to make a splashy move. I, you know, just from listening to the guy talk over the years, I would like to think that he has enough common sense to see the, the long-term picture rather than just, you know, a headline cycle, which is what some of these GMs will do, it seems. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe he can start a little bit of a narrative with some of these other GMs, see, you know, get the trade chatter going a little bit. Like I said, I think the I think the Royals have a lot of good trade, can, trade away candidates, I would say. Um, but... I, I think it's gonna be active. I'm not saying that they're gonna be they're gonna come out of the winter meetings and be like on top of the AL Central, but I think that they're going to trend in a positive direction. Jeremy, what do you think about that? Um, 
I think that they really need to walk out of the winter meetings, at least having announced a pitching coach. Yes. Um, you, mentioned, you mentioned that the pitching coach should have some say uh, in, in the pitchers that they go after. But I also think that pitchers probably want to know, who am I going to be working with? Um, and and not having that information could be, you know, it's like, eh, I can go with the Royals and who knows who's going to be coaching me. Or I can go over here and I know that guy and I like him, you know, so it makes a difference. Uh, maybe not a huge one, especially when money is involved, but I think it does. Um, and then I think we might see some minor league trades. Um, they kind of surprised me with uh, with some of the guys that they did not put on the 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft. And so I wonder if they might try and deal some of those guys that might get picked and, and see if they can get something back for them. Because it's like, you traded for TJ Sikama, and now he's not on your 40-man roster, and... Did you really like they did this with Kelvin Herrera? They got the that one hard throwing reliever and then lost him in Rule Five, and and then that traded it up. There was nothing there anymore. Um, so that, that I, I think hopefully that that's what we're gonna see. Uh, probably not any big free agent signings as much as I I'm still writing you know my Carlos Rodon uh, signing story <laughs> in the drafts right now. <laughs> Well, and it's a, you know it's a really good situation for a new you know newish general manager to kind of step into. Right? I mean, like they've got payroll flexibility if they do want to make go in that direction. Like not even just necessarily free agency, but like if another team is look like the Brewers are kind of seems like they're kind of dumping some of the regular regulars for 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 money uh, over money. You know, that's an opportunity to pick up a, a starter or a pitcher uh, for pretty cheap um, and and make and improve the team that way. So there's some flexibility there. And then they've got, like you said, they've got a lot of good, you know, good young players that are going to be coveted and uh, some redundancies at position. So they've got depth at catcher. They've got depth up the middle. They've got depth uh, at first base. Those are positions they can trade from and get, you know, address other needs. So it is kind of a good position to be in. And I do hope that uh, JJ is at least, uh, you know, pretty active at the winter meetings, you know, hopefully a move or two, but, uh, you know, at least setting things up for later. And it did cross my mind, you know, with Dayton Moore getting hired by the Rangers, there's a connection there. You know, a lot of trades happen because two general managers get along or they, they're on the same, you know, wavelength. And Dayton Moore certainly knows how J.J. Piccolo uh, behaves uh, and vice versa. And he knows the Royals organization really well. You know, might he be interested in having the Rangers acquire, you know, several Royals Hunter players? Dozier? What's that? He wants Hunter Dozier. I know yeah, he it. Was. Oh, God. He can – I'll drive him to the airport. He's from <laughs> Texas, so that would be great. Uh, so, But I do think there's some opportunities there. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they come together on a couple trades uh, and we can see them uh, be active and, and hopefully to – I know Dave Moore always likes to say he, want, he only likes to do trades if they mutually benefit both teams, so I will take that if it benefits the Royals. Uh, but, but, yeah, I think there's some opportunities there, and we'll have to see if J.J. makes his mark in December. Well, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about this year's Hall of Fame ballot right after this. Well, the uh, Baseball Writers of America released their 2023 Hall of Fame ballot, and the most prominent new name on the ballot is former Royals outfielder Carlos Beltran. Uh, Beltran won Rookie of the Year with the Royals in 1999. He was a nine-time All-Star with the Royals, Astros, Mets, uh, Cardinals, among other teams. He won three gold gloves and is just the fifth player ever to reach 400 home runs and 300 steals. However, he did tarnish his career late when he was involved in the Astros' sign-stealing scandal that actually cost him a shot to manage the Mets. So, uh, you know, 
Jacob, I don't know. I have a lot of fond memories of Baltron. He was, uh, you know, I got to see him come up uh, early in his career. Uh, certainly saw him, you know, make some some dazzling catches in the outfield. Hit some great home runs. Uh, is is he a Hall of Famer in your in your eyes? Or do you have any great memories of Beltron? Well, so all right, so I'm, I'm going to date myself here a little bit. I was not old enough to really remember Carlos Beltran's best years. <laughs> so I think Kansas I just City. dated myself by saying that. <laughs> have I gone back and watched highlights? Yes, because I wanted to understand, like, hey, how much of a rookie sensation was this guy really? And, man, I, I couldn't imagine seeing him in Kaufman and then watching him leave Kaufman. Like, that is, oof, that is something else. In my in my uneducated opinion, I think that he is a I think he's a Hall of Famer. I really do. Um, now, I only think that because there's already a lot of asterisks on these guys in the Hall of Fame right now. Like, why what, why aren't you going to let Carlos in? Like, what has he done that is any I hate to say it, any worse than other guys who are already in the Hall of Fame? Um, now I will say I and maybe I'm doing my Royals review review a little too early. I I read a, a pretty dang good book called Astro Ball um, not too long ago. Talk about you know where that how the Astros got to where they were right now, and this was before all of the the trash can stuff came out. At least they were talking about how Carlos Beltran was such a great um, hitting coach in the in the dugout, how he was so integral to what they were doing. So my tinfoil hat has always said, well, maybe was he the one banging the trash can? I like I don't know how how involved was this guy in the in the trash scandal. So um, I I think they're going to vote him in. My opinion doesn't really matter, but I'm I'm kind of middling on the guy. I'd be fine if he didn't make it. I'm going to be fine if he does. I'm just taking my I don't care because I want my to... odds is he's going to make it. What do you think, Jeremy? Uh. Gosh, if if Carlos Beltran doesn't make it, I'm not sure anyone does. Yeah. Off of this ballot, and and have the ballot go with no one voted in is that's an opportunity missed. I'm I'm a big ballot guy, uh, or a big hall guy, I guess you should say, uh, where I I would put a lot more people in than most people would. So I, I was just looking at the ballot again, and I'm looking at uh, you know Scott Rowland, Manny Ramirez, Andrew Jones, Todd Helton. These guys have been on the ballot for years and none of them have been put in yet. And I'm just like, how? How are they not in here yet? Yeah. Uh, Bobby Abreu, um, you know. Uh, Alex Rodriguez. Just, Alex, mm-hmm. well, I know why Alex Rodriguez isn't in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's probably, Alex yeah. Rodriguez not being there. I think, you know, that the my personal opinion is that cheating at the game of baseball uh, should not count against you uh, via the character clause. If you want to bring the character clause up, uh, there's plenty of things that guys do outside the game. Uh, that's what I'm more concerned about. If you're cheating at the, if you there's there's an old saying that if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. Um, and I think that that applies to a lot of baseball players. And you know, not all of them have been caught. Uh, you know, we caught they caught a bunch of guys doing steroids, but they, we know that there were more doing them. We know we don't know who. So the guys we know 
didn't get in. But other guys did that probably did do steroids. So I'm not going to sit here and say Alex Rodriguez shouldn't be in because he did steroids. The real reason that Alex Rodriguez isn't in is because people think he's a, he's a jerk. I mean, David Ortiz, pretty convincingly, they think that uh, you know there was a lot of evidence that he took steroids. Didn't have a problem sending him to the Hall of Fame. And he was a designated hitter, which is traditionally a position that's difficult to get elected at. Uh, but everybody likes David Ortiz. So, you know, it makes a difference. Um, I think a lot of people still like Carlos Beltran. I don't think the cheating... And, you know, he played so many years, such good baseball before he helped the Astros cheat. Uh, and we don't know how much he helped the Astros cheat. Um, but so I, I just, I can't look at his career and be like, yep, wipe that all away. Wipe, you know, the home runs of the stolen bases. And, and by the way, the incredible rate of stolen bases 86 percent success rate is just insane i think that's like top top bases. three like all time or something like that as yeah. far as like at least 100 steals this is, he is he's he wasn't just stealing bases he wasn't getting caught either um so you know i i can't look at him and be like well uh you banged a trash can and by the way like there's some evidence that the team was worse at home on offense than they were on the road, and they could yeah. only see it at home. So it's like, I've also always been a person who's kind of downplayed that whole cheating scandal. Like, I don't like the Astros because I'm tired of watching them win, but the cheating scandal's never been a problem for me. So, yeah, Carlos Beltran, among several others on this ballot, would definitely be in for me. I do feel like the baseball riders don't care about the sign stealing nearly as much as fans do. Like I saw a lot of like, uh, writers kind of saying like, okay, yay for the Astros. They won the world series. They were a great team, but a lot of fans are still like really, really salty about the signs. Even though like a lot of those guys are gone. Uh, I so saw, I, I, yeah, like you said, Carlos Beltran's pretty well liked, uh, and pretty well respected around the game. So I think he gets in. The only thing that gives me pause, I, I think his case is a little, not borderline. He's probably, he wouldn't be, he's not a, you know, he wouldn't be among like the 10 worst guys in the hall of fame. Certainly if he got in, but, uh, he's not a slam dunk for certainly. And yeah. I think the, the counting stunt, the counting stats look pretty good. Like 400 home runs, 300 steals, uh, 2750 hits, I think 2,750 hits. Um, but he was never really like a super MVP candidate. Like he never had a big standout season, which I'm more of a peak guy than a, length guy um other people may disagree and he was great for a long period of time like he was really i mean he didn't really have a, that big of a drop off uh, until age 40 um which is pretty remarkable considering he started being young um so the only thing will give me pause but I, I i tend to agree i think he's a hall of famer i think he will get in i don't know if he gets in on this ballot um just because he doesn't seem like a slam dunk candidate but the fact that there aren't a lot of I don't know who's going to get in on this ballot. Uh, that, yeah. that maybe that helps him. Uh, and so he, you mentioned some of the names. Here's some of the most prominent names that are carried over. This is going to be last year for Jeff Kent. Um, uh, he, he's off the ballot if he doesn't make it in this year. Alex Rodriguez, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland, Omar Vizquel, Gary Sheffield, and Manny Ramirez. Some of the top vote getters from last time. Jacob, would you? Do you think any of those guys will get in? And, and do any of those guys have your support in the Hall of Fame? Honestly, no. Um, you know, we we talked about how steroids negatively affect guys. I think Gary Sheffield is the biggest example of that. Because, I mean, if you look at the man's career stats, he, he should be a slam dunk. 
But what's holding him back is the is the Balco stuff. I mean, he was caught up in that just like everyone else was. Um, did you say Scott Rowland was amongst the top folks yeah, last year? Yeah, I think he year? was. I think he was like fifty or sixty percent last year. Sixty-three point two percent. He he's made some crazy climbs in the years mm-hmm. um, up the ballot. I think, I think he probably has the best shot of getting in. Uh, the wild card is, of course, Alex, Alex Rodriguez. I just don't think he cares for the politicking anymore of the of the Hall of Fame, and I I don't blame him. You know, he spent a lot of time around around the league in different various roles. If I don't care about the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't want to go kiss kissing people. I'm going to say kissing ass around the league just to get into the Hall of Fame. But that's me personally. Uh, Jeremy, do you disagree? I, like I said, I, I, I cheating doesn't hold any water for me. Lots of guys were doing steroids. Alex yeah. Rodriguez. Ha- would have had an amazing career without steroids. Would've. How much did the steroids help? It's hard to say because, again, his opponents were using steroids too, and they didn't put up those numbers. They didn't yep. stop him from putting up those numbers. So I, unless you've got a convincing argument that he was taking much better steroids than everybody else. <laughs> uh, I and, and the thing is that the steroids they help you stronger. They help you avoid injury, but they don't make you talented. Um, and, and he had he had a lot of talents besides just being strong and just hitting home runs. He also had 329 stolen bases in his career. Uh, he also had a, a, a bunch of doubles. He had a he had a batting average of 295 in his career, an OP of 380. That doesn't come from steroids. That comes from from you know the all base four. So. Uh, yeah, I, Alex Rodriguez would be in. Gary Sheffield, uh, he's, a, he's a little more questionable for me because I look at his numbers and they're not like Alex Rodriguez's numbers just pop off the page. When you yeah. look at the list of Hall of Famers, even when you're looking at Hall of Famers, he, his numbers are just so far and away better than everyone else's. So uh, it's hard for me to look at Alex Rodriguez and then look at anybody else and be like, well, yeah, that guy definitely belongs too. Because it's like, oh, well, his numbers aren't Alex Rodriguez numbers. But yeah, so definitely Alex Rodriguez, though. I do wonder if there's going to be a distinction made between like guys who were obviously really good before the steroid era, like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez, I think. And guys that I think there's a little more question of whether or not their numbers overall were inflated because of the PED era, like Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and Rafael Palmero and Gary Sheffield. Because Sheffield's numbers, I mean, you, they, they really do. I mean, I, I think I'm, I, I'm looking at them now. I'm really surprised how good they are. And I think the time seemed that great because everyone was, was putting up great creamers, yeah. right? Uh, and so, but but 509 home runs, oh, 907 career OP, 140 OPS plus. And that's insane. Uh, and and he's not really come close to getting in the Hall of Fame. So, I, I don't know. Maybe none of these guys gets in. Uh, but Alex Rodriguez, I, I do kind of feel like he will get in maybe only, maybe because he got caught. I mean, like, is that, does that make it better that he got caught under the drug testing regime while Barry Bonds, we We'll never really know, I guess, or we suspect we never know. There's no admission, I guess, but yeah, there um, you go. So I don't know. It, it, it's going to be really thorny. And speaking of bonds, I mean, he's not on this ballot, but there is a contemporary era ballot that of 16 former players, executives, or uh, sports writers 
that are going to consider Barry Bonds and Kurt Schilling, or and Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling and Raphael Palmeiro, as among other candidates, Fred McGriff and yep. Dale Murphy as well. Um, so I'm curious. Do you think? Do you think they'll get in through the 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 contemporary era committee rather than the baseball writers? Uh, Jacob, we start with you. Um, I don't know. I I really wish I was I was in the room with all of these voters to kind of get a, a vibe because there, there's two there's two sides of this coin. One one half of the room could be they were involved in this industry when they saw how low baseball sank as a result of getting caught. But the other half of the room could only be seeing the, the good side of this, which was the eye-popping stats because of the uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And let, let's be honest, Baseball was more entertaining and more watch when when players were taking steroids. I'm not condoning it, but I'm saying that is a fact. All right, so I, I definitely think some of them will get in off the contemporary ballot. I do think it's only going to be um, Bonds this year. I hope Palmero makes it in. I'm not particularly confident in Schilling making it in, um, but that that's just me. Jeremy, do you have all three of those guys in? Uh, if I had my way, Schilling would would never be in. Uh, and and after doing a little bit of reading and, and thought about Roger Clemens, I probably wouldn't put him in either, uh, just because of character clause stuff. Fair. Um, and, and you know, there's some questions about Barry Bonds there too. Um, but I, I also think that Clemens and Bonds, at least will be in just because of their names and how feared yeah. they were. Um, I don't know that it's going to be this round. I think we might still be too close to the steroid era, but I think the next time the the contemporary comes up, because they rotate through the eras, right? Right. Um, so I think the next time this era comes up, maybe they'll be ready to put them in, but I don't, I'm not convinced that this time they're ready to put any of those guys in. Well, and it also depends on who's on the committee. And I know I was looking up some of the past statements of some of these people that are on, there, are on the committee, like Ryan Sandberg's on it. He said he's not going to vote for any – any. this is several years ago. He said he's, he doesn't think any of the pet, the performance-enhancing drug guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Frank Thomas has been very outspoken about that. He's on the committee as well, so I don't expect him to vote for any of those guys. Uh, and then there was one other player on the committee, I can't remember who, uh, who said they weren't going to vote for anyone on the, uh, that, that did performance-enhancing drugs. Isn't Frank Thomas pitching like uh, uh, testosterone booster or something? <laughs> these that's like. for that's for men off the field, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> I don't even know if you could pass a drug test in Major League Baseball with that. But, uh, I but find yeah, out. but I will say, you know, I, I, something that's kind of irks me about the having a sixteen-person ballot, uh, you know, sixteen-person committee, kind of give a, you know, create a backdoor to the Hall of Fame. Like I know they've righted some wrongs, like. Ron Santo and Ellen Trammell, I think, were deserving all famers that committees had to put in because the baseball writers didn't. I know they, you know, they did a really good job. I think getting some some overlooked Negro League uh, players and figures into the Hall of Fame, but it it just seems a little, I don't know. It, a lot of times, it's been used to get kind of buddies of the former players into the Hall of Fame, uh, and I think it's been abused more than it's been used properly. Now, if you're a big Hall guy, maybe that doesn't matter as much, but I do think it kind of tarnishes a little bit to to get guys in that way. So I, I don't know. We'll see. They, they certainly have a tough 
uh, job ahead of them, and, and we'll find out, I guess, uh, who they decide uh, as well as next year. But, you know, even if the baseball writers don't elect any Hall of Famers, we could still see someone get in through the contemporary era ballot. I mean, the fact that there are so many, like, PED guys on there, like Bonds and Clemens, and a controversial guy like Schilling, uh, kind of makes me think, like, a Fred McGriff looks really good in comparison, he'll get in. Like, he'll be the one that gets in. Or Dale Murphy, who's who's basically a saint. Um, you know, and, and probably, honestly, I think Murphy Murphy's pretty deserving to get in. Uh, you know, he, he comes off looking a lot better. So perhaps it almost, it almost seems like they rigged it so that those guys will get in instead. So, uh, well, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. And Jacob, you're the, you're the new guy. So we'll let you lead off tonight. Oh boy. Well, look, I, I ain't going to lie. I do a lot of reading. I don't do a whole lot of watching, but I came down with COVID about two weeks ago. So I had, I got a lot of time to sit down and watch things. I'll say that. And one thing that's caught my attention hasn't dropped is got to be Yellowstone um, on on Peacock. I am already in season three. I just started watching it a couple couple weeks ago. Like I said, um, it is if you've only lived in Kansas or Missouri your whole life, it might be it's probably going to be a little too dramatic. I, I ain't gonna lie. But I've been out in Virginia. I've been out out of Kansas for nearly a decade now, and I was like, hey, this this is kind of it's kind of cool. Kind of reminds me of home. But then, you know, then we're talking about you know, killing folks over <laughs> over cattle, and that never happened. And I know it's very dramatic, but I I love it. It's got a solid eight out of ten for me. If you need some some good old western show to watch, it's got my stamp of approval. I, you're yeah, you're like the tenth person who's recommended it to me. I've heard Gosh, so many, dang it. I've heard well, so many good things what? about it. No, it's, I need to catch up. It, uh, and where, where's the streaming? Now? Is it on Peacock or Paramount? Yeah, yeah. It's on Peacock. Okay. So check out uh, uh, Yellowstone on Peacock. Uh, Jeremy, what do you have for us this week? I am going to go ahead and recommend yet another video game, yet another JRPG. Uh, I have been playing Like a Dragon, which is its official name, even though among the fans it's known as Yakuza 7. Um, It's kind of a soft reboot of the Yakuza series. It's kind of like if Persona and Yakuza had a baby um which is funny because they're both sega series so uh, they and, and actually the game has uh has some has a cd area where you can you can buy songs from earlier games and then listen to them in in a bar and uh there's actually you could buy i think it's three different persona 5 soundtrack songs um and play them too so the, they're well aware of the connection there uh but it it's uh, took a brawler game uh, and turned it into a turn-based RPG, um, and it's got a lot of heart to it. I, I always like to pitch things that have a lot of heart to them. One of the really cool things that I don't think you see a lot in video games is that the uh, the main party is is entirely like uh, middle-aged adults. Like we're talking, the the main protagonist is in his forties. Uh, his his best friend is also in his 40s the third party member is 59 he was days away from his pension when he got fired and then joined their party um and then the fourth character is is i think she's in her 30s but she's a woman so she's got to be younger obviously um and uh i'm rolling my eyes for those of you at at home who who can't (laughs) hear that uh and and it's but it's it's really cool to just kind of see like adults be like "Mm, you know what we may not be the chosen ones, but we got to go get some stuff done. So uh, let's go get it done. 
And, uh, and you know, because I'm used to, I watch a lot of anime, I play a lot of JRPGs, so I'm used to, like, the 15-year-old chosen one who takes on all these adult responsibilities. So it's it's kind of cool to see a 40-year-old actually take it on and and, and see how how he handles it differently. Um, and it's actually got a lot of a lot of stuff to it that's that's kind of more adult in theme, not not sexual, but like, you know, what do you do with what do you do about kids and and what about when your parents are getting older and how do you handle that situation? And um, so there's a lot of stuff that like you know, there, the the other stuff you know always comes with teen problems like oh I was so embarrassed at school and this is this is this is a different set of of issues and problems that it kind of tackles you know in between the 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 massive brawls with yakuza thugs um but it's uh, so i highly recommend it i haven't finished it yet but i'm i'm having a great time and and like i said it's just a it's a fresh perspective uh on both yakuza and kind of jrpg tropes well, my Royals review review this week is uh, Andor. Uh, I've been enjoying on a Disney Plus. I'm a big Star Wars geek, uh, and I think this is probably the best out of all the Star Wars uh, shows they've, that Disney's produced so far. Um, like like Jeremy, like you said, it's 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 kind of like more adult, not in content. Like although there's a there's a scene that surprised me that they kind of imply a couple slept together, which. That seemed a little adult for the Star Wars universe, but um, it it uh, it is more adult in theme in that it, there's not a ton of action scenes in it, uh, and it's a it's a kind of a there's some complicated plots that I think a lot of kids won't won't understand, but it it focuses a lot more on the rebellion and what sparks rebellion and the nature of fascism and what's really and it, it there's a lot of parallels to like the rise of Nazism in in Germany and how. You know, not everyone in Germany was necessarily evil and hated Jewish people. It's that a lot of people had their own lives and had their own personal ambitions, and they just wanted to kind of go on with their lives. And that's kind of how fascism rises. And uh, it takes people kind of speaking up to and doing something about it to actually um, to actually combat it. So it is very, very, very well done. Uh, uh, it it, uh, it it there's a one episode that's a little slow in the middle. Uh, but it does end uh, um, uh, with a really um, tense uh, standoff at the end that has a very rewarding ending in it, and it will lead up to a next season because I'm, I'm, I'm sh- there's a lot of loose ends and uh, a, a, way, a lot of ways the adventure can continue. So I'll, I highly recommend Andor on Disney streaming, or Disney Plus, uh, which apparently is losing a billion dollars a quarter. <laughs> That's why they brought Bob Ooh. Iger back. <laughs> So, uh, uh, so you have to watch it now before they go out of business, I guess. Uh, but definitely check out uh, <laughs> Andor Disney Plus. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks so much uh, for uh, Jeremy for coasting uh, tonight and for all the, over all these episodes. Uh, thanks so much to Jacob for being on. I, th- I know I'll do a great job with the podcast. I do want to say it's been a real treat uh, hosting this uh, podcast for all these episodes. Uh, and we couldn't do it without you listeners, so thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully we'll have more Royals news to talk about this offseason. Uh, and uh, t- uh, I, I want to thank you guys for, for reading and paying attention to the website. We really do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you all next time. Hey!